Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. 20 years ago, Richard and his twin brother Anthony Joseph set up their company, Joseph Joseph, see what they did there? With an idea to revolutionise tasks in the home. Simple things like making better chopping boards for the kitchen, ironing boards that fold and all sorts of ways to tidy up those drawers. Of course, not everything worked out. We did a, a sort of a spring-activated potato masher, so this is quite gremlin-esque. It ended up probably spraying mashed potato, I think, around the kitchen as opposed to keeping it in one place. Yet even with a few missteps here and there, Richard's now CEO of a company that made a pre-tax profit of £20 million last year, with 75% of their sales coming from outside of the UK. Not bad for a couple of brothers whose first steps into the international market involved loading a small car with chopping boards and driving around Europe for three weeks. Six and seven in the boot of a car, and, and that car that we shared probably for the first five years, this little Ford KA, Ford car, we, we used to do trade shows in it and sleep in the car whilst we did the trade show because it was a great way to save a bit of money. I'm David Wilson from the Evening Standard. Clearly, Joseph Joseph is one of those success stories that comes through determination, but also confidence in a good idea. We're talking about the rejections they face, but also how they design products, consider things like price points, and how talking to customers has been revolutionised by online reviews. But first of all, let's start by thinking about those last 20 years. Is this where Richard expected the company to be at this point? I mean, it's never where you expected it to be 20 years ago. I think we were, back then, um, we were young design guys. Uh, you know, we created, had created a very small range of four products that we, we thought were great. And we thought hopefully that other people would think were great. And we'd go off and start selling them. And it was really a case of, let's try it and try and survive. No grand plan at all. It was sort of uh, more of a love of developing products, I think. Where did it start? What was the first product and why was that the first one did you did, did you look at anything else and go mm, I don't know if that's going to work so it's really interesting it was sort of again we um, both Anthony and I we'd studied design we'd done designing technology at school we'd always loved making stuff we'd make stuff together in you know these crazy projects in in the garage at home in the school holidays and um, we'd always so we'd always loved that we then went through school did designing technology then left and went into university and did in product design and industrial design engineering and did early, then early careers in design. So Anthony uh, was in London. I was in London for a short bit. Then I went and worked for James Dyson as a design engineer there. Um, and we, but it was really, we, we came 
off the back of that saying, you know, we'd love to do our own thing and love the idea of developing a product and a product range, uh, packaging it, trying to go and sell it to retailers. Hopefully consumers would buy it. And we'd enjoy the whole uh, circle of life of um, start to finish of, of developing sort of our own products. So we developed a range and it was a really eclectic mix of, it had, it had a chopping board in there, it had a glass clock in there. It was a glass chopping board, a glass clock. The glass clock was effectively a glass chopping board with a hole in it and a, and a clock movement. And so that was really where it started. It was four products. In the first year or so, three of the products were a complete disaster. Didn't really sell that well. The glass chopping board was a success. We were very fortunate. I mean, we were selling to sort of gift shops, but we really wanted to crack a big account. And we, so I went to see um, a department store called Alders Department Store that were based in Croydon. They're no longer around, but they had at the time, they had 50 stores. I went to see the kitchenware buyer um, and she was a fantastic lady and she just took a punt on us. I mean, we were, we were a, really a one product company back in 2003, very, very small turnover, barely um, surviving. And she said, look, I'm, I, lo- I love what you're doing on, in the chopping board front, I'll buy the chopping board. And she placed a big order, I think it was about £13,000 worth of chopping boards. And it, and it saved us um, and it gave us the leg up we needed. And she said, look, guys, I'm the kitchenware buyer. I'm not the clock buyer, so I'm not going to buy your clocks. Kitchenware buyer, if you do more kitchenware, I'll buy it from you because I love your approach. And so we were like, great, we'll, we'll just do chopping boards. So we said, we'll do the best glass, wood and plastic chopping boards we can. And so that's how it, so we got into kitchenware. Do you still have any of those glass clocks? We do, I do. I've trawled eBay for many, many years, buying up all of our original oh, stuff, because, and it's in the archive. But I mean, it's sort of, and it does take you back, you know, and you, you realise, uh, uh, you know, when you look back at those early products, just how, how much work went into them and how much mm. love and attention and detail, um, you know, and you sort of forget it as you move on because you're always looking forward. But um, yeah, those, they were quite defining I mean, failures for us, really. Very defining failures that helped shape the business we have today. So why did the chopping board work then? Like, thinking about that from a, from a design perspective, yeah. what makes something like that appeal to not just buyers, but sellers, you know? What we worked out through the very early stages was um, that we understood and loved functional products. So stuff that people use every day. Uh, we love the idea of developing products that people use every day. And a chopping board is such a basic kitchen tool. And, um, uh, and it was about, well, what are some of the problems with chopping boards that we can solve, whether it be hygiene, whether it be uh, the transfer of food once you've chopped it into a pot, into a pan, as opposed to trying to scrape it and it all ends up going on the floor, et cetera, et cetera. How can we, what are the problems that we can solve in these really sort of, um, a, a sort of a basic daily use products, tools, etc. that people use. And so um, I think we, we probably got it, um, some of that right. I mean, we've probably developed 300, over 300 different chopping boards over the years. Um, lots of failures, but, but um, we, we, we got a few of them right. And, um, and it definitely set us on this path of um, let's try and identify products Let's try and identify problems in the home, which we can solve through really clever, intelligent design. Mm. And if they're functional products that people use, um, we find that you take, it's less subjective because it either works or it doesn't work, or it either meets a need or it doesn't meet a need. If it's, 
aesthetic and just colour or design, etc., it's very, you know, people are like, well, I like that or I don't like that. How important is the price point, though? So price is really interesting. So what we're looking for with the product, first of all, is does it solve the problem? Does it meet the consumer need that we're trying to address? And then, and, and that's not only how does it work, it's also the materials you make it out of, the, um, the manufacturing process you need to create a really robust, strong, usable product that has a long usable life. So, for example, we will be saying, well, look, this product will live in the dishwasher its whole life. So it needs to make sure it can survive the dish- a dishwasher its whole usable life. Um, so the material choice, the way it's constructed, put together, etc., etc., will develop all of that and then be looking at price saying, OK, where does it come out from a price perspective? And can that, is that still going to be acceptable to consumers? So we'll look at price, but usually... Price comes quite far down the track for us after we make sure we get a really good product. Price can kill it. You know, we can get to the end of the process and say, actually, this is just far too expensive. It's never going to really work. So it can kill the product. But, but we think um, what's most important is to try and get the product to work properly first. And so a so big thing for us as well is testing. So we test um, we test consistently, constantly through development. Um, and, um, and then also in pre-production, production and post-production, we're constantly testing to make sure that we're going to deliver a product. We prom- you know, if we're making a promise, like it's going to do X, we want it to do that and not fail um, and have a long usable life. Do you test the products yourself? I presume you have a testing department, but do you like do they have a look at this and go, right, this is my final say? Actually, is that quite a fun part? Of the job. Oh, very much. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, our homes are full of prototypes. Um, <laughs> these wild and wacky inventions that some of them never made it. And, um, you know, the products we fell in love with in development, but probably consumers told us that they were just a bit too crazy and uh, they didn't work. But we still love them. So we like, yeah. you know, like that sort of like children, we, we keep them and uh, keep them squirreled away in drawers at home. So I, I, do you know what I'm thinking of here is the dad in Gremlins. Have you seen the Gremlins yes. movie? Yeah. And yeah, the yeah, dad yeah. has uh, has all his inventions and his. Uh, is it a bit like that in your? <laughs> so you know, we. Um, I'd love to say it is actually. You know that, that actually. <laughs> I think when when you're, I mean, it depends. We, we uh, you know, we have innovation is a big thing for us. Uh, point being different is important. Very important. We want to give the consumer a different product proposition. We want to solve a problem. Point of difference. Um, and so we do blow out in our development process and ideation phase when we're coming up with the ideas. We do keep it broad and we say, you know, let's look for, let's go beyond the point where our, hopefully our competitors are looking. Let's go beyond that. Let's persist for that bit longer to try and find the really cool idea. And that does lead to some pretty wacky stuff coming back. Um, that, that doesn't make it. But I mean, but it's a fun process. And I think, um, you know, you running a commercial business, you know, we're running a business. And so you've got to you have to keep that in mind. But but I think that we do, you know, what's I think unique about us is we've got two product designers at the head of the business. So product is everything for us. And we love that process. And we hopefully allow lots of freedom within the design teams to to explore. Do you have, can you give me examples of, of design that's just worked really, really well and perhaps surprised you, but also one that, that, that went, oh, that, that's, that's, no, 
<laughs> no. Um, so one of the very early products that we did, a chopping board that we did, which was really sort of, um, it was a very much a light bulb moment for us, was this chopping board we still sell today, which is called Chopped Apart. And it is a folding chopping board. And it was actually, um, we worked with this great uh, designer called Mark Sanders um, on the project. And it was a, it's a you basically, it's a, a, a plastic chopping board with a handle. You squeeze the handle and it turns into a chute. So you can pour the contents into a pan. Um, and so it's very, very clever. And it's a single molding. It uses what they call live hinges, uh, living hinges, so that um, you can fold it 10,000 times and it won't break. It's an incredibly robust product, but very, very simple and um, very cleverly um, engineered. That is, we've sold that for 15, 16 years consistently, and it's just run, run, run. And it, and it just solves a very obvious problem and it does it really, really well. So I'd say for me, that is you know, one of my all time favorites. Then if I dig into the, uh, the what hasn't worked chest, which is quite sizable, you know, we've done all sorts, we did a, a sort of a spring activated potato masher. So this is quite gremlin-esque. Um, and um, that sold for a time, but I think um, it ended up probably spraying mashed potato, I think around the kitchen as opposed to keeping it in one place. And whilst we, the spring aided the mashing, it was probably a bit too, uh, there was too much force in it. So unfortunately that one uh, uh, has ended up in the archive. So, obviously there's a lot of attention paid on design, but if you're talking about trying to solve problems for people, you must have to really know your customer. Very much so, and more so now than, than when we first set the business up, I think, because um, yes, in development we will, um, we don't do that many focus groups during development. Um, we we um, we believe that if we focus, if we understand the problem, then as sort of designers, we can hopefully come up with a a good solution, an innovative solution. Um, I think if we are looking for feedback in development on a specific area, we may well ask um, certain consumers what they think. But generally, it's more, we're talking to people more in the ideation phase about looking for the problem, as opposed to showing them what, we work, what we're working on as a solution. Um, and of course, when you launch a product, you get immediate responses through reviews. And we mine the reviews from day one. We're looking for what people say about the products, enjoy about the products, don't like about the products, etc. And, and the immediate feedback, which is so important and so fast these days, it's vital for us um, to understand where we've got it right, where we've got it wrong. Actually, those reviews must be, I mean, 20 years ago, you probably didn't have quite the same number of people going and doing reviews themselves and putting that on. That must be, I, I don't know if it's revolutionary, but a really important way of, of, really of important. developing your company. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's, it's, it's that immediate feedback, which we never had back 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, and it's, a, it's an incredibly useful tool. And, um, you know, now with the business being, um, you know, with 75% of our sales being outside the UK, international sales, we can also get responses from all the markets we sell in around the world immediately as well. So it's, it's not just um, a UK thing. Is it different around the world? Are the problems the same wherever you go? The, the, the solutions people are looking for, are those the same? Or do you have kind of variants in, in different markets? I mean, there are definitely there are cultural variances, of course. Even across Europe, there are cultural variances. Um, again, if you come back to sort of functional products in the home, there's a lot of consistency uh, because people have the same issues 
And if I take space as an issue, you know, that we all, you know, spa um, space in the home is becoming more and more of a premium. It, it is, it costs more, um, you know, to live in bigger homes and all the rest of it, um, apartment living, etc. That is the same the world over. Um, and so you're able to, if you're able to develop solutions to people's issues of space and organisation, generally it, it's a global issue. Um, I think if you're getting into the nuances of food preparation, then it does vary. Um, and what happens in Asia to Europe to the US, um, it's, it can be quite different. Let's go to a break now. While the ads are on, hit your follow button so you never miss an episode of How to Be a CEO. We'll be back after these. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How did you get from a position where you're going effectively door to door to retailers to try and sell this in the UK to having 75% of your business being international? How did that happen? <laughs> well, I mean, it's taken us 20 years. So, you know, <laughs> that overnight success. No, 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 it's taken 20 years. And, I, and it was, and it literally was, you know, uh, one store to the next and you know then um, you know one relationship to the next relationship and building it you know organically and that's what we've done I mean I think again we we had this um, situation where we were selling in the UK and we had um, we started selling with Alders and we had this success with Alders with the, with our chopping board range and that gave us huge confidence we're like well consumers like this product so let's go and talk to the next big retailer in the UK I won't name names but we um, we went to see them and we got an immediate rejection. And today I understand the rejection because it was like, look guys, you're a one product company, classic startup issue. You're far too small. Um, we don't accept uh, suppliers of your scale. You need to come back to us when you've grown and grown your product range, et cetera, et cetera. But of course we were frustrated because we knew the product was selling and their consumer would want, would like, we hope would like the product. So I managed to get hold of um, a retailer directory for Europe 
and a phone directory for Europe. And I called as many department stores as I could across France, Germany and Switzerland. And my export strategy was if they spoke English, I'd try and go and see them because my language skills were not great. And, um, and luckily, a few of them spoke English. So I managed to get appointments in, in, uh, with department stores across those three markets. I, had a, I shared a car with Anthony at the time. I loaded it full of chopping boards and drove around Europe for three weeks. And I got listings. I got the product listed in France and Germany and Switzerland before we got it into the account that had turned us down in the UK. So, and that was us often running in international sales. And it was sort of like, it was at the time, it was just another customer, another relationship and someone else to worry about. But it, we, you know, we were, it, it got us into export and, and we never looked back. You know, there's a version you could tell of that story where it sounds terribly glamorous, where you're jetting <laughs> off to all of these places. But I, I, it feels like the impression, like you're maybe sticking stuff in the boot of a car. <laughs> we, it was sticking stuff in the boot of a car. And, and that car that we shared probably for the first five years, this little Ford KA, Ford car, we, we used to do trade shows in it and sleep in the car, the two of us. <laughs> in Glasgow, we went up to Glasgow for one trade show and we slept, in, Anthony and myself, in the car whilst we did the trade show because it was a great way to save a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, was there ever is there a point even now where you feel this company is secure i'm not going to have to sell my house i'm not going to be sleeping in the car again did, did that ever come was there ever a point where you thought yeah we're going to be all right yeah i think um we went through we've gone through various stages of scale up and i'd say um i i think probably about 10 years ago we went through a, a stage of major scale up and and we're able to um, feel more financially stable as a business. So I guess back then we probably felt that we probably were, we were out of the woods. Um, but it did probably take, it definitely took six or seven years to be in that position. Yeah. And yeah. it was, you know, it's tough. I mean, you know, business is tough. Growing a business is tough. Scale up is really tough. Um, and... Um, you know, there were lots of moments when we thought it was all going to come crashing down. But luckily, we, you know, we had some brilliant people who supported us, like the lady who was the buyer at this Alders department store, who gave us, you know, these um, opportunities and we were able to make it work. So what happens now? What's the future? So, I mean, we're, we're still super excited about, you know, the future and, and we, we still feel like we've got a huge amount to do um, from a product innovation point of view um, there's there's you know we're we're focused on the home so there's lots of areas of the home that we're not in yet that we'd like to go into we have a very very sizable new product launch coming up in the spring next year um, I can't say what it is just yet but it's a product category we've been looking at for a long time and we've got a really we think we've got a really clever solution to a an age-old problem in this area and so it's things like that that we're, we keep us really engaged and excited and we're super excited to see how the launch goes, how, consume, well, how consumers feel about the product range that we're going to launch, et cetera. So, and it's into a new area. So there's lots of that still to go after. And, and, um, and then the international piece is also really exciting. We've got a, a growing business in Asia and you know, um, being able to sell products in China, Japan, Korea, is, is exciting um, for a British company, uh, as well as, you know, growing business in, in the US and the Americas and Europe. So it's, you know, having a truly global business is um, challenging, exciting, exhilarating. And, and you know, we just uh, feel like we've got a lot of runway to go. 
And on eBay, I just thought of this. How much is a glass clock going for, and are you secretly quite proud of it? Um, they, I, I'm not sure what the glass clock... I mean, I, I, I bought one recently, and I think it was pretty reasonable, actually. It wasn't... Um, I'm not sure I'd be investing in them. That was Richard Joseph of Joseph Joseph. For more interviews, news and analysis, go to standard.co.uk forward slash business or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. How to be a CEO will be back in two weeks. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.